Hey, Cast Chasers, we're going to hand this episode off to our MC and Cast Chaser extraordinaire, Dan Single, who's going to be the MC for tonight's version of Live at the State Theater, Water of Life Film, Whiskey, Podcast, and Tasting, brought to you by the Cast Chasers with special guest Brad Kenyon. So pour a dram and settle in. This is the Cast Chasers Podcast, live. How's everybody tonight? All right, beautiful. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. This is great. You guys like the movie? Did you enjoy the movie? Awesome. I thought it was great myself. We've got a great night lined up for you guys. That's great. Very good. Okay, they gave me a list of things to talk about here before we introduce our panel here. So, uh, and fortunately there is lights, so that's good, but I didn't bring my glasses. So let's do the best we can. This is the kickoff of the Burns night. Robert Burns weekend. How many, how many people have gone to the Robert Burns weekend before? It's a fun time, right? Great time, great time. We're gonna be doing a live podcast with the cinematographer of Water of Life, Brad Kenyon, will be out joining us. And, uh, and the festivities don't end there because the party goes on until you guys leave or until the state says you have to get, get, get out of here. So at any rate, who is ready to get this podcast going? Who is ready to get this podcast going? All right, in that case, let's get this party rolling. Coming up first, fighting out of the... Wait, that's the wrong script. Hold on. This first guest, she is the uh, the brains, the brawn, and the beauty. She is also co-founder and owner and operator of this great state theater that you guys are sitting in right now. Let's give a big round for Lady Katie Johnson. Dan, I gotta say, when we asked you to be our MC, I don't think we knew what we were getting ourselves into. <laughs> it's a good type five. We have comedy open mics here too, so uh, just letting you know. Well, actually, I'm uh, filming a Netflix comedy special right now. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and I know that you guys will be editing out from the live just Bobby. everything, everything that I'm saying. So just know that I'll be editing out the entire podcast for the comedy special. All right, so it'll, it'll work. It'll work. Um, Katie, so how do you put up with all this? Can you be more specific with all of this? <laughs> well, let's start with the next two people and bring it out. How the hell do you put up with them? I'll, I'll say this much. I've had such a blast with Bobby and Aaron over the last couple of weeks, really since October, since they asked me to join as the director. So... Big thanks to them. Big thanks to the entire Cast Chasers family for inviting me in to do this. Thank you, guys. Yeah, give yourselves a round of applause. 
I think, I think it's that love and the whiskey that helped me put up with this. Mostly the whiskey. And, and did we have to do shipping out to Boston for the entry song? That was like nice and cliche. I had to fight somebody over that song. I won't say who, yeah. but you can probably guess depending on, uh, depending on how excellent the walkouts are to the next couple of songs. Well, I'm sure none of them are going to have some sort of Irish or Gaelic theme. To them, so we should be I don't know. Yeah, I don't so see the connection. But perfect. All right. Our next guest. Snappy dresser. Not a very good dancer, though. Um, I have known him for quite a long time. He is very, very knowledgeable about whiskey. Charming guy. Love this guy to death. Um, and he is one of the co-founders of the Cast Chasers. He thinks he's here for a podcast. He's actually here for an intervention. Let's welcome out Sir Aaron Cross. So, so you, you said I thought I was here for a podcast, but it's actually an intervention. Well, Aaron, we love you. Well, yeah, and, and we're worried about I you. I came out because I know I deserve it, is <laughs> what it boils down to. So, thanks for the snappy dresser bit. I, I, at, very least, at the very least, I have a shirt in such a color that you can hear the color of the shirt. So, that's, you could. that's what and, I'm here for. And you're the only one, I think, that, uh, that wore a beer t-shirt to a whiskey event. Yep, absolutely. There's a beer t-shirt underneath of it. Do, do we show it? Are we at that point Always yet? Trying no. to stand we'll out. do that later. Take it all off. No, later. Got three more whiskeys to get into me right here. Bring more whiskey. We need more whiskey. How do you like things going on so far? Say it again. How do you like the things going on so far? How am I doing? Uh, I'm how, how, do, how do you like the? The movie I'm, premiere, I'm, how that's I'm really going. digging the the setup, the the books that are obviously not real. I've never read a book in my life. Thank you, Scott Ambrose, and recent history property. Scott rentals. Ambrose, look him up. If you need some stuff to put behind you, Scott Ambrose, it's really awesome. I'm digging the fireplace. And um, how about our new uh, Cast Chasers flag over here? Have you guys seen this? So that's fun. But no, I'm having a good time. The movie, fantastic. And um, I'm digging your 45-minute intro up here, too. That's pretty awesome. Sorry, what? Uh, I stopped paying attention, too. Let's see if I'm nice to uh, Let's see. All right. Without all that being said, let's bring out our next panelist here. This man is just really such a treat. Um, he, he actually owns land in Scotland. He is, he is royalty. He, that land has been in his family for weeks. Maybe a month. Maybe a month or so. Um, he, he won second best widow's peak in Haverty Grace. I didn't even know that that was a contest, but apparently he won it, so it was great. Second place is better than nothing, Bobby. All right. So at any rate, I'd like to welcome out our lordship, Bobby. Bird! Well, 
What did I tell you about that widow's peak, guys? Is that just fabulous? Yeah, anytime, Bobby. That, there you go. There you go. Wow. Wow. What an intro, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks everybody, for being here. Oh. My fans. Thank you, guys. Thank this you. This is how divas are made. Who invited, who, who invited Dan? I just want to know what. That, that we was didn't you. Plan this. Somebody, he found a mic, wandered on stage, and started doing a little bit. I've, I've never met this man before in my tight life. Tight five, comedian show. and then That's a loose five at best. We were at doing best. coaching. We were like, Dan, you got to make sure you cover this, 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 this. And then this guy walks out with the Cadillac medallion on that gold chain, just poo-poo, poo-poo, poo-poo. Full of personality. Look at you go. I'm glad you appreciate it, Katie. We appreciate you. We love you, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you. Who is, uh, who, which of your daughters? So we were hanging out at uh, Aaron and Christina's house, and their kids were there. And uh, was it, who was it? Was it Sophia? Who was it? Probably. Okay. Is it, is it a ridiculous story? Then it was Sophia. Okay. There, there. Who kept going? I love you, Bobby. I love you, Bobby. She's a cute oh, Sarah. Kid. That was my oh, youngest. Sarah? She's two. The pronunciations weren't that great, to be honest. No, no, no. And Bo- Bobby was annoyed because one of my friends, um, they call him Uncle Bob. And Bobby's like, well, why, why don't I get to be called Uncle Bobby? So I turned to Sarah, my two-year-old. Or did you turn to her? My, my wife turns to Sarah, our two-year-old. And she goes, Sarah, can you call Bobby Uncle Bobby? She goes, um, I think so. And so now she does. Still hasn't. Still hasn't. <laughs> Thanks. There you go. We we love you, right. Bobby. So that that that's his next name on Facebook instead of his lordship Bobby Bird. It's Uncle Bobby. And how long until the his lordship thing is done? February sixth. I get to turn it off. Okay. But what who's a, counting? What a nightmare. He had no idea the joke was going to run this long. So I changed my name on Facebook for those that don't know to his lordship Bobby Bird as a joke. My wife bought me land um, five by five. In Scotland, yeah. Thank you, love. So it went to my head, like we all knew it would, and I called myself a lord, and then I learned through Facebook, you can't change your name. It takes 60 days. The joke was done in three, and... It's the gift that keeps giving, really. I love it. All right, everybody. Our last guest here. We are very honored to have this guest here. He is the cinematographer for the movie that you just watched. The colors, the hues, the pans, the zooms, everything about that was his doing to give you guys the feeling of what that movie is. He is the managing partner of Aurora Films. He lives in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and he is here to talk to us today. Everyone, please welcome Brad Kenyon. Now the intervention can start. Brad, I gotta say, so so just for you guys to uh, let you know, so we were back in the green room, we're watching the end of the film, and at the end of it, credits start rolling, and we just hear the applause across all of you Fantastic people. So I got to ask you, 
maybe kick things off before we even getting into a tasting. How did it feel, Brad, to just to see this film that you worked on so hard for all? Where of is your ego right now? Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I have to start by saying it was definitely a team effort. You know, it was a, we had a really great crew. Um, Greg, the director, uh, he and I have uh, known each other for about 25 years, and this was really a, uh, a passion project, right? And so I kind of equate it kind of like whiskey. I mean, the film was done last year, and uh, we had to wait to release it. And so uh, this is, I think, the only, th this is the first theatrical kind of uh, release. Uh, but uh, yeah, the applause was great. Um, I really uh, appreciate you guys coming out to see it. And uh, it was really, uh, I think, that, uh, for me, the best project that I've done in my life so far. So it, it, it was just fun. I, I've done hundreds and hundreds of things for different things. But to um, go and shoot something in Scotland about something that I love, uh, it was really special. So I'm really glad that you guys were resonating with it. So, Or you're really good liars. So. <laughs> They've had a couple of drinks in them, so it's honest, I'm sure. All there you of go. Just um, thank you, though, but for, for allowing us to you know, show the film and to be a part of it. And then for our second time, this is our, if you're a listener to the Cash Chaser podcast, you know that we've had him on before. Um, so thank you for coming on again. So obviously we did something right the first time. And um, this is our second time in the live, our second time live um, on stage at the, in the second time at the theater. So thank you to the theater. Great job, right? I, I also want to bring up something that I didn't really realize, and I think collectively we didn't realize until tonight. So the, the podcast, we're in season two. We've been going for about a year and a half on the podcast. Um, Brad was actually our first guest in like a virtual format for the podcast when he was speaking about the film, when it was going to come out, you know, back, back before the days of COVID, when we all thought we could do things. Um, and How wrong we were. <laughs> And we, we've had guests on since then. Um, COVID hit. We did, you know, like uh, Facebook Live events and this thing with this distiller and this person and that person. Brad is also our first live in-person guest for the podcast. So that, it's, it's a neat thing that we found out tonight. So no pressure. That's right. No pressure. Don't, okay. don't screw it up like you did last time. I'm kidding. That's the real question. I mean, water of life. Beautiful, but the ego from being the second time guest on the Cast Chasers podcast. I mean, how do you compete with that? Can we play that music again when I walk? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm honored. It's great. Uh, you guys are doing a great thing. Uh, it's great to see this show grow. Uh, and uh, this is a great theater. It's uh, a great town. Uh, it's really uh, charming. And, uh, you know, I'm honored to be here. So, yeah. Good job, guys. So, well, thank you. We try our best. Yeah, we get people sauced up, and that helps. So um, on that note, you have some whiskey, some of you in your bag. If you haven't, um, there's still an opportunity, I think, in the back to get some. Um, as we go through this interview with, uh, with Brad, and we, we chit-chat, and you guys are kind of peeking into what it would look like in our studio when we do a, uh, a podcast. It's just like studio this. studio looks nothing like. The studio looks like a dungeon. I mean, it's just because we added the bearskin rug. That's, That's the, the only, only difference, difference I can see. Can we take that back to the studio, that bear? Scott? <laughs> 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 
The bear is getting a name at the end of this podcast. I'm calling it now. I kind of want the audience to name it. So, so start keep thinking about this now. Drink more and then name this bear. How's yeah, that sound? Yeah, keep drinking. Ushka bear. Yeah. Ushka bear. Those note cards that you've got up there. Um, right. <laughs> those note cards that we've got. That's why we have the note cards. Um, not only do you put your questions there, but also if you want to give us a name recommendation for the bear, you could do that as well. Please ask some some questions of us. We love uh, making this participatory. Um, so, but yeah, let's do that. I like that idea. Um, Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Dan's holding his whiskey in his hand, so I think he's ready to kind of jump in. Before, I want to kind of start off with um, another compliment and maybe something we can talk through um, before we jump into this first whiskey. And everybody's like, let's just drink, but I got to get it out of the way. Jonesen. The, you've seen the film, you just saw the film, visually a masterpiece. Those aerial shots, all of those scener those wide scenery shots of the, of the side of the buildings and the distillery, um, I'm sure that going through your head you wanted to capture it. I remember last time we talked, um, Greg, the director, who's, who obviously isn't here, he talked about this doesn't look like Scotland. He wanted it to be rainy, he wanted it to be, you know, kind of gloom and everything. But those, those shots were gorgeous. They were, mm -hmm. they, were, they were visually beautiful, so you really captured it. How difficult was it to keep it, you know, you could have shot that in Virginia, right? You had to really get that Scottish look and that, that you know, other than the distilleries themselves, of course. Well, that's where the team comes in. Uh, I'm not a drone pilot. Uh, our, our drone pilot, uh, Alphonse Palima, is, uh, he was just brilliant in that, that whole thing. We, we took a, you know, when we started the project, we, we kind of got our parameters down on what kind of visuals we wanted to represent. We really wanted to kind of show what whiskey tastes like, right? And so how do you do that? And uh, you really gotta, you know, I, like Mark Renier, I not quite so much, but I used to be a wine guy. And so realizing the geography of say like portions of France, you get like the idea of terroir and you can kind of navigate your way through wine. I knew that that was the way uh, through Scotland as well. Once you understand the geography of all these different regions, then you can start to identify and start to decode what you're drinking and, and, and things like that. So we really felt like that was a really important part to show the landscape. Um, and so we did a lot of research going in by watching a lot of uh, documentaries that are out there and uh, realizing that you know we're going into a very windy and uh, wet environment. So uh, it was really just taking a team approach, finding uh, opportunities uh, with the microclimates and just being inspired enough to say, stop the car, I wanna get a shot of that. And uh, doing that for weeks on end. I remember too from, um, from season one of the podcast when you joined the guys and you were talking a little bit about it, I remember you made a comment about watching some of those other documentaries and watching to see where the wind was especially strong and just kind of picking up on all these nuances so you could prepare for that. So right. during that process and getting ready for your seven weeks in Scotland to shoot this film, was there any particular area you were especially excited to go to and check out or one that you were dreading, like this is, this is gonna be miserable when we get there? Um, I mean, Isla in per, per se was, was really, you know, I wanted to go there, I wanted to see it and I've been there several times since and uh, Really, uh, the best part is is the process that we took. The director, Greg, and I uh, 
took two weeks, uh, grabbed a camera, and just traveled all through Scotland, just the whole environment, and uh, uh, just start to get to know people, introduce ourselves. I said that in the podcast before, but it's just sort of, a, it was important part of the process to really just uh, not just show up with a camera and crew and, and pretend that you know things, right? Uh, Greg, before we started principal photography, uh, worked for a week at, at Glasgow Distillery. Uh, he's really just honing the story. And then we would regroup at the end of every day. We'd watch dailies, we'd watch the footage, we'd critique uh, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we needed. Um, and then we'd also, when we started the interviews, start to hone what we were going to shoot to, to supplement what was being said and what, what we, we were learning because with, it, with any documentary, you start out with a, a basic idea, an outline of how the story will go, but then you have to allow the organic nature of the story to affect you while you're shooting it in order, because if you, if you stay you know, on paper, it's just sort of like riding a ship, driving a ship one way and not thinking that the wind is gonna blow you in, in any way or, you know, or alter your scene, you know. And so you, you've got to, uh, You've got to be agile and, and uh, figure that out. And that's what we did at the end of every day, even though it'd be, we'd be exhausted or had a lot of whiskey in us. We would sit down and watch what we've done. And, uh, and I, I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it, the whole landscape is just beautiful. So like just every day was a new experience and it was just sort of like, so you look forward to staying there and not necessarily leaving. It definitely paints the picture. I'm, I've never been to Scotland. I'm so excited for, I don't know, maybe we could get a cask chasers trip or something in the works. I like that. <laughs> Everyone's so enthusiastic. I'll come back for a third episode. I'll yeah. <laughs> we, we plan to go mobile um, when COVID lifts up. And we have a lot of friends in Scotland and um, elsewhere that have invited us to come do this with them. So... Wink, wink, nod, nod. We're going to bring Katie to Scotland, I think. So that'll be Teaser. fun. Teaser. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, can we jump into Let's do it. our first one? Fine. Yeah. Is that fine? Yeah. Twist my arm a little. Am I twisting anybody's arm? So um, we're going with the Brook Laddie first? Brook Laddie first, I think. Let's do it. So it's the Brook Laddie Classic Laddie. I don't think you guys have the actual bottle, but that's that uh, bright blue one. Looks like a shampoo bottle a little bit. What shampoo are you using, Aaron? <laughs> Brook Laddie shampoo. Brook Laddie and shoulders. Aaron bathes in whiskey. That's it's an actual whiskey <laughs> bottle. Just don't drink the Pantene Pro right. B. Neat, neat thing about this, um, and uh, you heard Jim McEwen talk about a little bit in the film. This is an Isla Scotch that is unpeated, so it's not dried with that. Um, peat. It doesn't have that inherent deep, smoky peatiness that you expect from an Isla Scotch. So if you've had a Lagavulin, an Ardbeg, a Laphroaig, something like that, you're not going to get that deep, heavy peatiness. But what I like about this is it's still so complex, it's still so beautiful. It's really showing you what Isla can do outside of the peated realm. And that's something that Jim was getting a lot of flack for at the beginning. Well, he... He really started that movement of evolving whiskey and doing something different, and that's why we look at Jim McEwen as kind of a, a hero in the industry, but, you know, from his bottle choices, the visual look of their bottles, I mean, 
it doesn't look like a scotch bottle, but it stands out on a shelf. But also to make a, for those that don't know, to make a non-peated Isla whiskey is kind of unheard of. That's how they dry their whiskey with peat. Um, we had this at our very first tasting, and we called it a roller coaster. The nose is nowhere, the smell is nowhere near what the, what the palate is. They, they, they evolve as you drink it. And I can see his kind of, you know, craftsmanship. Or even rebelliousness almost. Kind of a little bit, Challenging yeah. the way that maybe things were done and, and getting all these crazy flavors out of it. That, that's one of my favorite parts from the Water of Life film. In the interview sections where he was just kind of giving the behind the scenes of, yeah, this is how we did it, this is how we rolled in, this is what we tried. He just kind of had that, I don't care what you guys think. Like, you left I'm this place this going, way. I'm going to try some stuff, Yeah. Is he a mad scientist? I mean, is that his? Well, an alchemist, maybe. You know, it's just something like, uh, you know, there's scientists that, that, that worry about temperature and things like that. He'll just, you know, put it on his skin if it's too hot. And it's just, the thing I love about uh, the classic Laddie, though, is it, it's very, uh, you know, uh, in Scotland, they call, I guess, what we call white ghost or white dog here. Uh, it would be a new make, right? So the new make, is you can really get a sense of it, I think, in the, the spirit. It's a spirit uh, a, um, forward dram, I think, and, and you really get the crispness and crispness, and, uh, and also it kind of goes in line with his idea of being transparent and, and with, with what he's doing. And so it's a very honest dram. Um, I, it's, it's, I love it. It's a go-to It's beautiful. Dram. Yeah. The color, I mean, you guys can't tell in your green lighting out there, but... It's really light, so it's not this dark, you know, amber that you may see in a normal, in a whiskey you're used to, or specifically a bourbon. But um, it, it, it's, it's pretty, it's beautiful in its own way, and I, I appreciate it. Maybe we can do kind of like a round, round robin, too, with what you guys are getting on the nose, because I'm seeing everybody's reactions as we go through. I know for me, I'd, I always have weird experiences when I'm tasting whiskey, but that's why it's fun. I, I almost get this smell of laying down in kind of fresh clovers or like natural grass or something like that, which I never would expect from a peated whiskey. Like that side of the whiskey kind of sneaks in and almost kind of rolls in very gradually, kind of lets you enjoy that complexity that we were talking about in a way that I'm not used to with whiskeys that I'd categorize as an Isla, so. So uh, if anybody here new-ish to whiskey, it's okay if you are, if you're not. I mean, a couple people, right? It, you're, if you're newish to whiskey, you're going to hear us say some ridiculous freaking stuff, okay? You're like, so, it's hot water. I taste you're, hot You're going to be like, this tastes like whiskey, and that's okay. I like, smell it does. Ethanol. It absolutely tastes like whiskey. But um, we're trying to show you, you know, a couple different things that have a couple different um, nuances, a couple different, you know, scents, tastes to them. And what I usually recommend is lock on to something that's familiar to you, whether that's in the smell, whether that's in the taste, and just sort of dive into that. Whether that's rolling in clovers, which I've never done, so I can't speak intelligently to that. I had a great childhood. Um, or a chocolate chip cookie or Band-Aids. You know, if, if, if there's something that you're familiar with, latch on to it, taste it, smell it, and that sort of thing. So if you're hearing us say stuff like rolling in clovers or, you know, taste like it. grass... Just go with it. The, the majority, the majority of what you taste is is what you see and what you smell. Um, that's that's a big part of tasting. So, 
when you just throw it back and you and you let your tongue do all the work, you're going to get that burn and you're going to get the ethanol. If you if you let your brain do the work and plant and think through what you're tasting or let other people plant some seeds for you, you'll start to taste different things and you'll get these. Again, I don't know what a clover, but I, I believe her. I'll you know Wikipedia maybe. Yeah. I'm gonna go find some clovers now. <laughs> I get the grassiness though. I yeah, get it. There, there's lemon, definitely like a grass. soft grass. Yeah, like an earthy yeah. green natural something or other, which maybe it's like rolling in clovers. I don't know. Well, there's now you guys get to experience it vicariously. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> something about um, you know when you're tasting things and nuances, and it comes down to relaying it back to things that you're familiar with in the past. Um, I'm curious, and maybe we could go down the line here. You guys let us know as far as tasting notes. What's the, the tasting note that you grew out of with a, about a whiskey that gave you the weirdest look? Like in history or right now? Just one. Just in, yeah, in history. In history, what's the weirdest tasting note you've given that just I gave can, you, I can go first in the I can. I'm going to steal it from Aaron because he's already thinking it. I can tell you one I've heard that made me, it ruined a whiskey for me. Somebody said swimming pool. Indoor. Indoor, Indoor swimming, swimming pool. pool. And that... Third grade, learning how to swim, you know what I mean? The panic nightmare, of being pushed in the and deep then end. The, I don't want to put a bathing suit on in front of my friends, nightmare. And then it, I'm 39, I don't have the body for this anymore. What am I doing, nightmare? All that came back to me, and now I hate the whiskey. And we, we, were, we were doing a, an in, we, when it's not all COVID-y out, uh, we do in-person tastings. And this was an in-person tasting. There were, I don't know, 15, 20 of us there or something. And this guy, he goes, I'll never, he, he goes, indoor swimming pool. And you just hear this collective among mind. everybody, oh. because then we all tasted it, we all smelled it. So I mean, yeah, is it a, is it psychosomatic? A lot of it, absolutely. But yeah, thanks for stealing that from me. I, I had another one in in the back. Just take that one too. Case. Sorry, all right, we'll, we'll buy Katie. some time, Aaron. Uh, so I think so. It's not necessarily the weirdest, but psychosymptomatic. All this, you know, science words. Um, the one that I had the most intense experience around was one that we were tasting. No, no, it was the Four Roses small batch. That's what we were trying. And as soon as I got into that first sip, it was like in movies when the main character is just like swamp back in time and they realize like they're not where they're supposed to be. I had that sensation because just the tasting experience took me back to my great aunt's kitchen in Morgantown, West Virginia, where we used to make hardtack candy the first Sunday of every December. And it was crazy because the, the, the way that the tradition went, you know, the whole family would gather together, the kitchen would have windows open between the heat of the candy we were cooking and then all of the smells. I mean, there was clove, there was anise, there was cinnamon, there was fruit punch. And I always had to clear the kitchen when the clove went on because it was just like, and it just seared your eyes and your, everything. So I got that memory when I was tasting the Four Roses small batch but granted, in a more pleasant way. I mean, I finished the dram, but... <laughs> also, yeah. the, her grandmother had the alcohol on her breath. And she was a <laughs> rabid drinker. In a field of yeah. clover out back, it was crazy. Right. You rolled down the clover, down the hills of Morgantown, into the belly of West Virginia, <clears throat> and that's how I got into bourbon. <laughs> Brad, uh, what about you? Well, it's actually about Brooke Lottie, and it's not my note. It's actually Greg's, uh, the director of the film. Uh, he, uh, and I don't have kids, so I can't really uh, say to this, but he, he often terms uh, that the new make in, in this uh, reminds him of baby vomit. 
Did not, did not expect So the that. next whiskey tonight, guys. So, no. but, but in an endearing way. So yeah, I guess you would have to be a parent in order to do that. Again, I'm not a parent. I don't, I don't go there with my, my nose, but um, How that's, lucky that's do you the feel? strangest one. It's like Andrew Zimmern in Bizarre Foods. Is this, this smells like a barnyard in the best way possible. I can't wait to have a baby throw up on me. Yeah, and I'm going to judge he, it. He's being endearing. It's not a... I'm going to nose it. It's not a You're like, a, a hmm, bust. some Brook Laddie in there. Three-year? Is this a three-year? <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Bobby. I get, I get one or two of those, so thanks for the laughs. All right, so my, get? I guess, second weirdest, now that Bobby stole my first, um, thanks, it was a, uh, it was a French whiskey, um, and... Nosing it, tasting it, and I'm like, "What is this? What What is this note I'm getting? I, it's I don't like it. I think I hate it, but I kept going back because I kept trying to identify it. What is this? What is this? What is this? And then I'm looking around, and um, our our buddy Jonathan, he goes, he goes, carrot, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be damned if it didn't taste like a carrot. And I something you should know about me. I freaking hate carrots. We call okay? that we I, call it the carrot whiskey now. We 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 literally call it the carrot whiskey now. It's in a gorgeous bottle. We call it the carrot whiskey. Um, I got I got some uh, crab dip earlier, which was phenomenal. Didn't need a single carrot stick because that's <laughs> disgusting. Was it was it like raw carrot or was it like carrot cake? Cooked carrots. Is cooked. Yeah, like I'd say stew? cooked. Like 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 not not cooked to mushy carrot, but definitely a cooked carrot. Somewhere halfway between raw and mushy carrot. That sounds can, delicious. Can I ask the, uh, I want to ask, I help edit this podcast, so I'm, I'm doing this to myself. I want to ask the audience to uh, one or two, maybe three, yell out some flavors that you got from this last whiskey. Oil. Oil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Toffee. Toffee. What was it? Grape. Grape. Oh yeah, wine. well my wife's Italian, wino. So yeah, that makes sense. I love you. No, that's that's good. That's good. I got the oil actually. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. get that. I get that almost in the texture. You know, it lingers a little bit for sure. The texture, yeah. Which There's is definitely a tobacco note going on in there too that you gotta get out tobacco? of. Tobacco. You'll get that from uh, unchilled, filtered whiskeys. I mean, that's where the oil is just because they're not taking it out because it comes from the wood. So why, while we're talking about drinking this gorgeous whiskey, I want to I wanna dig in a little more to, and we've got a couple of legends on this table, and, but arguably, I mean, the last one you got, you know, Billy, it's pretty big, but Jim McEwen, um, huge, massive. You, you're filming, you're in, his, you're in his distillery. He's a big part of the film, um, a big um, personality in the film. I'm assuming he's, you know, acceptant of bringing you in and being a part of it, is getting that name out there. Not that he needed that film to do that. What's it, what's that interaction? What's that distillery's vibe? I mean, with the Jim McEwen at the helm, I mean, now he's left, but at the time, and he hands it over to some amazing people too. But what is that vibe? What is the lifestyle there like? I mean, what's the feel of the Brooklady distillery? Very gracious, and uh, Jim wasn't a part of Brugladi there, but his house is right next to it, and there's, the, I mean, everybody just has a really uh, strong appreciation for the craftsmanship that everybody and the work that, that goes on uh, across the board. Um, 
Brooke Lottie themselves, I mean, they're just the nicest people uh, uh, from Mary behind the, the, the counter to Adam and uh, everybody just, just welcomed us and allowed us to just be on. Uh, I mean, we would go into some distilleries, and I won't name them, but we would have to fill out forms that were like this thick to, in order to, to do things. And, um, but Brooke and it wasn't in a sense of getting kind of notoriety. They were just, uh, it was like, hey, these Americans came across, you know, and they want to they wanna talk to us. Let's just do this. It and almost seemed like, like, like they were so blinded by the passion that they have, not in a bad way, but they were just so focused on how much they love what they were doing and how much they wanted to push the envelope that anybody who was down to get on the ride with them, they would just welcome with open arms. They did, and and you know the thing is when you when you interview somebody, I'm going to pivot a little bit here, but like when you interview people like more than one time, you, the first layer you get is a lot of uh, you know they're trained to to say certain things that, that are you know like the corporate speak, right? But after a while, they start to get that you want more, you want a little bit more of a story, and that was how how Jim was. He was just very. Uh, honest, you could see like his his light bulb moment with us that we were here for for the story, and uh, just it just became a really a great experience to walk around with him. You know, the first moment that we had with him, uh, you'll see moments there where he's walking uh, along the this rocky beach and into these mountains, and you know it's just beautiful shot, and that was like. He said, hey, well, let's just go down the road, and uh, there's a place a couple hundred yards off the, off the road. Let's just go there. So we got up all our gear. You know, I'm talking everything, sliders, like tripods, and, you know, the whole crew. And a couple hours later, we're still hiking, you know, up in this terrain into these boggy things. I think one of the guys went through a, a bridge with his boot, and it was just like, but everybody was like, is he is he challenging us? Is he just sort of is he making sure that we're we've got the gumption to 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 do this right? And but everybody was just like looking at the view and the animals and everything, and it's like this is just amazing. So yeah, I mean it, they're just very real people, and uh, I was just honored to get to have a glimpse of what's going on in Scotland. Got some uh, audience questions here. Do nice. You guys wanna that and, the, and this one actually works really Brace yourself. Well. Yes. And this one's for you, Bobby. Um, it's apropos, actually. Get ready. So, so Bobby, uh, why do you think Jim is so cool? And does he get a cast chaser's flag? You know, so there's Good a one, few. Jimmy. That's a great question, actually. I'm a huge Jim McEwen fan. There's a few pioneers in the world of whiskey. There's a few pioneers in the world of whiskey that we get to know. We're in the, maybe I didn't get his joke, but I'm going with the answer anyway that I have. <laughs> I'll edit that out. Um, you say that now. Yeah. Jim McEwen's, we live in a time with whiskey where if, if you drew up in the 80s, that's when whiskey started to kind of come back. And, you know, into the 90s, we kind of lose it a little bit. Early 2000s, it starts to make this, you know, come back again. Before that, it was your dad's drink. Now you see every age, um, gender, drinking whiskey, mixing it, bartenders, and everything else. But there's more appreciation. Um, Jim is one of those pioneers that we get to know in our lifetime. You know, your no family, your your from different distilleries in America to Wes from Angels Envy to Jim McEwen. 
um, in Scotland um, to, you know, Billy Walker. I mean, there's, there's living legends now that are bringing whiskey and changing it and looking for a market and trying to give it to the masses and showing you a beauty and an art. And to, you know, Brad's point, they're also some of the most charitable, giving, caring people out there. One piece of Cast Chasers outside the podcast is we're a charitable group. We're partnered with Drams for Fams, which is a chari charity organization. So we do a lot of charity events. When we did our first event, we reached out to these master distilleries, big name distilleries, Whistlepig, things like that, thinking, man, can we, can you kick us back something? We're doing a charity event. What bottle can I get you? Who do you want me to send out to help you? You know, distillers sending us, master distillers sending us bottles, donating free mo you know, money and everything else to us. They care. And they're artists. That's why I appreciate people like Jim McEwen. Why do I love Jimmy, who's in the audience? Because he's the man, the legend. And I love him with all my heart. And uh, Great name. So there's uh, people in other countries listening to this podcast are going to be like, who is Jimmy? I'll have to explain to them later. They know. They know. Um, so, so we'll and he doesn't get a flag. Them, we'll we have either, two. Will either of them be getting a Cast Chasers flag? Jimmy in the audience could. Jim McEwen, definitely. 100%. Bobby's going to roll in it first. He's just going to... Bask in it and sign it. Sign it and everything else. This, uh, this next question. I hope that answered your dumb question. There you go. Very <laughs> There's good no job, dumb questions. You masterful. Masterful. I love it. Um, and, and we should probably move on to the next whiskey uh, so we could get the, the party in after this. But um, before we do that, since this is on the topic of Isla's, I'm going to throw this out to Aaron. Um, question, does the island of Isla have a strong peat smell in general? And I've heard the atmosphere is absorbed in the barrels. Yes. Thank you. It's great for audio. Gold Thank you. star. I'd like so, to... So like, I, I, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I, I think we addressed this a little bit, and I'm actually going to hand this over to Brad. But um, Isla is known for uh, its peat and its whiskey. There's a lot of peat on Isla. I mean, it, the, there's just these endless bogs of peat and this decaying vegetable matter, which sounds really gross, but puts an amazing flavor in your whiskey. Um, so that's what it's known for as far as whiskeys go, is this deep, peated, smoky, salty flavor. But like we've seen from this Brook Laddie that we just tasted, this classic Laddie, you, you can have no peating done to this whiskey at all, and it's still fantastic. And I want Brad to take over from here. Well, I was, <clears throat> I thought you had answered that, so I was going to latch on to what you were saying about Jim, but I, I tell you, Isla, the feeling that you get in Isla is calm, is calm. You, you look out, every day there'll be a, a different sky, you know, you can look at the same landscape and every day it'll be different and it's just, it's beautiful and when people post pictures of Isla, I, I stop and I look at it and I just go right back there. And just like the whiskey, it takes you there and, and that's just part of it. But the thing about Jim, you were talking about how gracious he, he is and, and the thing about him is that I would think he, his, in his mind, his legacy is all those people that he employed. You know, it was, yes, the whiskey is part of it, but he personally brought back that island, uh, you know, with jobs and everything by, by containing everything in that distillery because that distillery, um, they do their own bottling, which is very rare. You know, you're on an island and the, the roads are horrible. 
And so to take a truck with a bunch of bottles and everything is just not, not feasible. But they did it. They, they had a self-contained distillery there, and it just created a bunch of jobs, and I think that that's what he's most proud of. So that's, that's something that we've touched on in the podcast a couple times, just like the local economy, the craftsmanship, all of those beautiful things about whiskey specifically that you're kind of seeing in this renaissance of whiskey right now. So I, I don't know if you have any insight into this, Brad, but just even if you'd heard from other people that had lived there before, what Isla was like before the rejuvenation of the Brooklady Distillery? Well, I, I mean, it, I think we, we said it in the film a little bit. It was just, you know, it was just, I don't want to say sad, because I wasn't there. You know, it's just, it, uh, but it, they're a resilient people. The Scottish people are very resilient. And, and, and I think that that spirit, no pun, is, is why they make such a good product. I mean, the thing that puts scotch on the label is the fact that it's made in Scotland. Like, it, you know, the wood comes from America a lot of times, or France. Um, the barley sometimes, you know, Brugladi started bringing it back to Isla, and so did Kilhoman and things like that. But a lot of times the barley was brought down from the south of the UK. Um, and the bottling was done, uh, you know, uh, in, the UK, in Scotland itself. But the, the way to put a Scottish uh, moniker onto a bottle is from the people. And I think that they're just uh, resilient, honest, good people. And so how do you take that away? Uh, but you can just, if you give opportunity, then things grow. And, and that's what we saw uh, with what happened with the Brugelotti story. Guys, I don't know about you, but uh, all this talk about drinking whiskey, whiskey makes me want to drink more whiskey. Segway. What about you guys? We, uh, yeah, let's do it. about more of that scotch? Yeah, yeah, let's right. drink more whiskey. All right, so we're moving on to the Belvenie 12-year double wood. So Belvenie, um, I'm a huge fan. It's, it's, it's a more, it's a very popular whiskey. I mean, there's a lot of good ones out there. I think the Caribbean cask is, is a, a very sought after. A lot of people really right. like that one, yeah. Um, the 12-year specifically, specifically this double wood, is actually one of my favorites. A lot of nose, a lot of complexity. Um, the color, you know, I, I can be a color snob sometimes. I mean, you could probably see that from down there, that, that golden brown. Um, these uh, bottles, I'm going to tattle, I'm going to use, I'm going to give away a little stage. Can I do, do that? Do it, do it. So we empty those Movie bottles, magic. and I just want to give props to, what's his name? What? Patrick, Patrick, for filling these bottles with tea. With tea. Yeah. Proof that's, down that's just tea. We that's, love you, Patrick, for so many that's reasons. For, I'm telling you for two reasons. I want you to see the color match that he got um, with water and tea, it's which is amazing. really good. Um, we're not drinking that. We're drinking whiskey. Also, for at the end of the show, when we do our meet and greet, we talk to you, and whoever decides to rest the straight stage to drink some, <laughs> joke's on you. I shouldn't have said anything. I should have let you have it. <laughs> now but, it will. Uh, now, now we're going to be able to crowd surf out of here. Not really social distancing, but... <laughs> Burns Weekend 2022. Love it. So, so I, it's tea. I, um, I want to talk while we're all nosing and tasting. Ho hopefully you find this different than the classic Laddie. But um, David Stewart, who was, he was in the film, a um, couple shots of him, um, he's essentially widely credited as the first person doing this sort of double wood aging, wood finishing, um, as it's known in the industry. 
Uh, basically, what he does with this is some of it's aged in your classic uh, American oak ex-bourbon barrels. Some of it's aged in Oloroso sherry barrels. And then um, they do that for about, about nine months is what they sort of finish it in. And then for the last three to four months, they put it all together in what's called a ton. You saw a couple shots of those in the film, just these really big kind of that things. Uh, for three or four months, they marry the two in there, and then uh, they bring it along and put it in a bottle, and it's delightful. Um, a lot of places are doing it now, but um, David Stewart from um, Balvini is sort of the first one really credited with sort of making that a little more widespread. So th uh, let's talk about the nose on this one a little bit. Apricot, anyone? Yeah. I get apricot. Huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dry fruit. Yeah, definitely. Like, sometimes I describe the nose on certain whiskeys we've tasted as just a wall of whatever that scent is. I've had walls of caramel. This is a wall of apricot. Just Which is a squishy wall. So wood, wood produces a lot of caramel, 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 however you would say it, depending on where you're from. Caramel? I don't, we're not caramel. crowd surfing that. It's caramel, people. Caramel. Right? You're mixing the two. We just lost half the audience. Not caramel. It's not They're caramel. Like, I, I had them up until caramel. caramel. Then I was done with them. That's right. Um, wood produces a lot of natural flavors. So what they're doing with these wood experiments and double wood or playing with different woods, they're, they're, they're trying to extract different elements and different amounts of flavor. You got to think, too, scotch is using used barrels. So for those that don't know, bourbon is made in new oak barrels. Scotch is made in used barrels or or aged in used barrels. So a lot of the flavor they're pulling is from the ex-bourbon, from the used vanilla, whatever char, or um, uh, vanillins and things, and whatever char is left over. So to do that process of double wood, which like you said, he kind of pioneered, is just playing, and now you see all kinds of crazy stuff happening out yeah, there. Yeah, everybody's doing everything. Yeah, it's which nuts. is why, Beautiful. I, like you said, I mean, we're kind of in a golden age of whiskey, where everybody, it's not even they're stealing from everybody else, everybody, they're all happy to help each other out, I think. And I, Brad, I think you can speak to that. Just like the whole whiskey community is so very giving, not just to you, people like us, but to each other as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically, um, you'll talk to a lot of people and they're like, uh, yeah, my brother works over at Beaumont or my cousin works over here. And um, I was actually over at, well, this is a long story, but they, they, they're, no, it, it is a long story. But it, I know the owner. He won't kick us out. Like yeah. a, it's like a second episode, part two, long story. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. And that's that's Isla too. If you if you get stopped by somebody in in Isla, it's it's sort of like when you see uh, a, a kind of a new parent where they they've been only talking to you know their kid for a couple <laughs> couple weeks, and then they just they're just like they want to talk to you. They're just it, it's. It, they're just great. It's it's awesome. It it makes you it makes me slow down and just sort of appreciate the moment, which which is what really life is about. And 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 that's you know it's good to slow down once in a while. And 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 you know that's why we drink whiskey. This is this is kind of an odd question. As you were going around to the different distilleries to make the Water of Life film, did you notice that certain uh, personalities match the different distilleries? Yes, actually, you know, we did have a discussion, a couple of discussions about that, how the, it, it, the whiskey really uh, identifies with the whiskey maker. 
and, and um, you know, it's just it it is a a little bit of a phenomenon that 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 we we were realizing uh, across the board. That that cracks me up. I was hoping that was what you were going to say, and I just because again, I mean, you can taste these different notes and these different even down to the way they market themselves, right? And we were talking a little bit about the bottle design at the beginning of the tasting. I just, I can't wait to get over there because I, I guess I would say the thumbprint of the distillers just comes through in what we get to taste from it, so. Billy Walker, uh, which is gonna be our next one, I'm not trying to jump ahead, but he is a great example of that because he's been through so many different distilleries and you really get a sense of his fingerprint on, uh, on the different, uh, you know, the finesse that goes into uh, a Glenallochy or you know, that, that, that also matches into the Glendronics and the Benriac and, the, you know, the things that he was really uh, working with before. It's just a small example, but you can start to identify, especially when you start talking to people uh, and, and meeting them. It's like... I, I, I feel the same way with... And, and back to the Belvini. Belvini is so unique. Each bottle, you can you can almost tell a Belvini when you're drinking one. And I think I lean into their finishes, and they have a unique way of finishing their whiskey and balancing it out. And I, I'm not to get in his head or that team's head. And it's an amazing team. And you know, I've chatted with a couple of the the blender and everything else from there. They're they're looking for a finish that makes you remember what you drank. I mean, kind of something that lasts a long time. I appreciate the finish on their whiskeys more than anything. Again, the rum is one of my, the, the Caribbean cask is one of my favorites from them. This is the same, I've already jumped ahead and tasted it. I don't know if you guys can taste kind of the same thing, but there's a long drawn out oily mouthfeel that just kind of sticks with you with this. And that fruit is still there. There's a little chocolate note, some nuttiness and everything, but there's this mouthfeel that I appreciate, almost like you can chew on it. And the burn is not too aggressive. It's it's just well balanced and well finished, and that's what I look for in a good whiskey. Is it, it well finished. It kind of like puckers at the end a little bit. Like I want to I want to keep circling back to this. Like if you were to equate it to a delicious meal, and when you're down to the last couple of bites, and you're like, all right, what is the last flavor that I want to experience before I finish this gourmet meal? It's it's that kind of experience of it puts the thought in your head for sure. When I'm, uh, when I'm tasting this, anytime I'm tasting like these double woods, Abler 12 is also very, very similar. Um, and I always get uh, this, as far as the taste, I get a big honey note mm -hmm. off of this. And then on the nose, I get the apricot, but I also get like a baking spice, like an allspice thing at them. That's how I kind of know it's, it's Balvini or, or one of those double woods. I'd like to poll the uh, audience right now. What do you, yeah. are you guys getting anything interesting out of this? Shout it out. Here? Shout out what you're looking the honey? What was that last one? I heard honey, yeah. I heard honey and hammered. We got agave here. It's very specific. So honey, so wait, 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 wait. So we got honey, and then somebody went agave? Agave. All right, raise your hand so if you're in the honey, honey camp. honey and fancy honey is what I got. Fan raise your hand if you're in the agave camp. Agave, raise your hand. <laughs> Literally one person. For, for the listeners, and for all the listeners that aren't here tonight, there's 14.6 million people in the audience, so it's a huge... It's a record breaker. I did that joke last time, and it landed. Bobby, I did the count. It's 14.4. 4. 14.4. 4. It's a packed stadium. I want to see everybody's hands for agave. Space. Not oversell this. But agave. I, one of you. One of you. 
Just we get one. that. I can get the agave because a lot of I times you that. get the same smoke. I'm not picking on him. I respect the agave. We are going to single you out. That's now, a t-shirt. That's a now t-shirt. That I ta- now that he mentioned it. Who had honey? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Who's still tasting hot fire? Ah, we're getting there. Look, okay. that was almost nobody. <laughs> How many job. people Look. here are, are new to scotch? Anybody? Is there an, an echo scotch? in here? Are you guys whiskey drinkers, like in general, like American whiskeys? Like I'm more of an American whiskey drinker myself. Who has a daiquiri right now? <laughs> Where are my daiquiri people? Get out. <laughs> They're in the back row. Very, very good. So it, it's funny that you say honey, and I was a poet, and I wasn't even aware of it at the time. Um, so it's funny that you said honey, um, because I, there's one thing about uh, Balvini is when I'm when I'm tasting it, it, it's one of those that I go to, no matter what the expression is, I go to it when I don't know what to drink. You know, I go, oh, what do I want? Balvini. I'll, I'll I'll have a Balvini, and I'll take I'll take it, and it just makes me happy. It makes me smile and. I didn't uh, put those dots together until now, but a lot of the other whiskeys that I drink I, that have that same effect on me just sort of mentally are ones that I get honey notes off of. So um, your Mortlock 20-year-old has a lot of honey. Open 18 has a lot of sort of honey going through it. So, yeah, that's probably why. So th- thanks for figuring that out so that my uh, psychiatrist didn't have to. Appreciate it. I've, I've got another question here, and... Uh Let's see, Brad and, uh, and Bobby, with your uh, five square feet of land in Scotland, you might be able to answer this best. Um, does Scotland feel bigger than it actually is, considering the rich, diverse history and landscape? You should probably let Brad answer first. <laughs> yeah. Brad's going to be more poetic than I am. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it, the land is, I always use the term treacherous. Uh, it's because it's, anything that can can kill you, like if it's it, like heavy water or you know, atomic bomb, people are like fascinated with it, right? Because it's beautiful. It, it, it's just, because it's real. And, and, and like I said in the last podcast with you guys, if, if, if we ran off the road and, and, you know, died on a cliff, the locals would say, yep, yep that's, that's what happens. You know, it's just, it's such beautiful land. It just takes your breath away and you just sort of stop and then you throw a bunch of rain in there. You know, your, your senses are heightened. Uh, as far as scale goes, once you get the, the lay of the land, especially with Isla, because it, it's only, it's a small island, but then y- you can completely navigate, you know, around and, and feel like a local, but you'll never be. I pretended like I had an accent the whole time, so everybody knew I was from America. Um, we so when we went, we started we we started in London, but we made our way up to Edinburgh, all the way up into the Highlands. We came down all the way around Skye, and then made our way back down. It did feel huge, and it to your point, the the terrain is insane. I mean, there was times where we were in like a mountainous waterfall, Scottish guy playing bagpipes. You know, it was mystical and all of this. And then I would be in like this weird ferny forest with like moss growing on the trees. And then I was on the moon. Like there was this one point and I, my wife will have to tell me where it was, but we were driving, I think it was on the West side and we were driving. And then all of a sudden this big open red land area, like, like Mars or the moon or whatever opened up. And I was blown away by this open landscape with no trees on it and seven sheep which won't let you touch them. 
and I have I made I tried. Super my, like that. I was like, I want to touch one, and then mm-hmm. one, finally I did, and it was terrible. They're not what you think, but anyway, they were uh, coos and cat, you know, these weird cows, and and the people you meet them, and they're they're all characters, and they all have uh, they fit this idea that you want Scotland to be. You know, they're farmers, they're fishermen, they're you know, they're whiskey people or whatever they may do, they may be, and it just I. I there was one point we were having tea in this woman's house on the side of a hill, looking out the window with a cat sitting on the ledge, drinking tea and eating, you know, uh, cookies or whatever. And, and I was just like, where am I? It was literally amazing. I fell in love with, and this will be the end of my ramble. Um, well, I Koila 12 year, which is a, is a good, it's, it's, it's tip. It's typically designed to be a, um, a blend. You find it in Johnny Walker. Um, I don't want to say it's anything amazing, but it's, it's a decent um, Isla whiskey. I had it in Scotland, and something about my surroundings and what I was up, it was the best tasting whiskey I ever had. But the reason it was is because the scenery, the moment, where I was, the event, who I was drinking it with made it amazing. It's one of my favorites now because, you know, to that point you made earlier about your grandmother's kitchen, grandmother, aunt, grandmother. Great aunt. Great aunt. I found she, it in the middle. She was a big bourbon person. To your point, it's that's what that's what whiskey is. For those that are wondering why we made a whole show around it for the whiskey, non-whiskey, you made an entire world around whiskey. Name a time for those that drink where you don't sit around something like a campfire or a table and drink something with your family, whether it's a glass of wine if you're Italian or whatever, or you know it's a cocktail or it's have a beer with some friends or. Whatever it may be, alcohol doesn't have to be this thing we get sloshed off of. It's an event. It's a part of our life, and it's something we use to loosen up and to hang out and enjoy and talk about. Whiskey was that for me, and that's what made me fall in love with it. Well, I think one of the cool things about Burn Supper Weekend, and again, so excited to be part of a second year of making this event bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, it's the big? hype. So this big. I don't know. I can't stretch out my arms. There's a mic. There's a speaker. There's, anyway, very big, very big hype, huge. Um, No, but I mean, just the excitement that people have around that whole mentality, right? Like the vision that we have these places that maybe we haven't been to, or maybe we just imagine that capture this crazy spirit of the land that plays into what we're drinking, that plays into the culture. That's a piece of what we get to experience in weekends like this. I mean, look at you guys. This is this is fantastic, and thank you again so much for coming out. We're not done. We clearly still have another scotch to get through, but thank you guys for sharing in that excitement and that desire to kind of dig deeper into the next layer of the story with us. That's huge for us tonight. Yeah, yeah. Round of applause for yourselves. Yeah. Hooray for you. We, uh, we have an entry for the bear. Uh, oh, yeah. Burns the bear. Oh, that's oh. good. Not bad, apropos. That's <laughs> good. I like it. I've got a, here's a, here's a, I, I am so, not. Somebody said Bernie. A couple of people said Bernie. Bernie. I, I am not a. He doesn't uh, have mittens. A scotch drinker. I'm more of an American whiskey drinker. So I'd be interested in hearing from Aaron, Bobby. Um, the, Brad, this, you can chime in too. To this. Brad, um, <laughs> and, and probably Katie, you're probably more of a scotch drinker than I am. So I'll toss this to you guys. So. Uh, Since single malt scotch is a newer phenomenon, and I don't know if we can consider it a newer phenomenon, but we'll we'll dive into this. Uh, Do we know what or how they used to taste? And does anybody make scotch the old way 
uh, meaning before bourbon barrels, before bourbon existed and there was a market in used barrels um, as the predominant aging vessel and also what cooperages still occur today uh, since we're doing mostly used barrels in Scotland? That's a great 19-part question. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> we should I make an entire show about answering it. Well, um, Three-part series. Well, the, the neat thing <laughs> Ten is... Ten pages, double space. That's right, that's week. right. Um, Written in iambic pentameter. That's right. So, actually, uh, talking about blended whiskeys versus single malts, our next whiskey is going to be a good example of talking about those things sort of um, next to each other. Um, so, Glen Allocky, um, that's going to be our third one. Um, this is one, uh, Billy Walker, you saw a couple times in the film. Um, I'd say, uh, saw him a decent amount, uh, almost the B story of the film, uh, I'd say, is Billy Walker. Um, similar to Jim McEwen in that he sees potential in a distillery and he goes and grabs it. Um, so, this, this Glen Allocky. Um, the distillery was predominantly blends. It was predominantly made for blends. Um, blends are a lot of the bigger names that we all know, Johnny Walker, that sort of thing, are all blended uh, Scotch whiskeys. Um, and that was mostly what Glenallochy was to begin with. And a lot, a lot of these other distilleries were to begin with. Can, we, can, we, can we back up? Just, yes. I, I get where you're going with it. Just to kind of top that question... That 19-part question that was just uh, and are let's you, address six or seven of them. Go ahead. And and are you cueing us to pour that one? Yeah, pour your get your uh, uh real quick. Yeah, um, while you're pouring and sipping and smelling, I'm gonna kind of. I think we can all tiptoe in that question because I enjoy that question. Scotch whiskey is very simply made. It's only a handful of pro, uh, ingredients. It's the barrel, it's the water, it's the yeast, it's the grain, um, and time. Back in the day, time wasn't really an ingredient. It was just however long it took to get the vessel from that place to that place. We have recently discovered time as a thing where we've got attached to. Um, I'm kind of hoping we get away from time, meaning age. People are like stuck on, it's gotta be a 25 year old. The first one we drank is a non-age stated. The next two are 12 year. I'll show you some eight year whiskeys, it'll blow your mind. Um, so you don't have to have time, um, but Used barrels has kind of always been what it is from what we know as Scotch whiskey, because that's what they had. You gotta remember when Scotch first started, when it, back in the day, it was necessity. That's why they were putting it in a barrel. And the only barrels they had were used barrels from brandy, from cognac, from wine. So they were saying, how are we gonna store this? And it was illegal. So they had to hide it in something, so that's why. I think today, the reason the law is what it is, meaning they have to age in old or used barrels and use the same ingredients, is to keep that consistency. So you're pretty much tasting what you probably tasted, maybe a little more complex, because you have people now playing with barrels, you have master blenders tasting and finding the perfect barrel, and you know each barrel tastes different. So they're tasting these and making sure the product's good for you. Back then, you know, you just got what you got whether it was their version of moonshine or something that may have been aged a little bit. And, and part, of, part of this makes me wonder if there's some kind of beauty in the fact that in the older ways of making whiskey, right, simple traditions, simple steps, but just kind of roughing in the edges, we're in an era where we were just talking to Pat Heiss about this. I mean, there's, there's so much science, there's so much data that can be pulled from perfecting whiskey. But I kind of like the idea of an era where that wasn't an option, 
and maybe the roughness of that natural character and whatever was going on in the world or with that distillation process lended itself to this unique flavor. So that's that's something that's kind of intriguing to me as we talk about the difference between, you know, newer styles versus what preceded everything that we have today. I don't what, know how that plays If you want some whiskeys that have been continuously made the same way, which a lot of them have, um, your, your Lowlands, um, Hamilton, those kind of whiskeys, so... Um, um, Long grows one of them. That's a good one that's been doing it the same way for centuries. Highland Park has been doing it the same way for centuries. Um, I can't think of some other. Jack Daniels, very consistent. Stop I, it. I couldn't resist. Stop well, that's it. That's when, I mean, most of them, if not all of them, were, were close to, uh, like, they're all blends. They were trying to get a consistent product out there that was safe uh, for people, but but reliable, and, and so that the, when you bought it, you knew what you were getting, and your granddad didn't have to think twice about it. Now, with the, with, you know, these uh, single malts, it's a, it's a, it's a balance between tradition and innovation. So, as somebody like Adam Hannett coming into Brookladi, you know, like, and, and coming, uh, he's got, uh, you know, the background of innovation because they were innovating different you know they how do you rise above you know five companies that own so many types of things and make a splash in the water with flavor and using different barrels and trying to innovate uh, but but you've got the traditionalists too that that uh, like so if you were handed a, a job to make this whiskey like a, a Balvini like um, like Kelsey does now like with you know taking on the the reins of, of, of a very traditional brand. Um, how do you make it your own? Do you change the label? Do you uh, change the cast? You know, it's it's a challenge, and and that's what we all appreciate. And, and Brad, how do you answer the cooperage question? Being that most of the stuff is is used barrels, what's the value of the cooperage in Scotland? Oh, they're 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 extremely valuable. I mean, the wood is all all about it. I mean, you've got. Um, like Speyside's cooperage, where we shot a lot of the, the the coopers there, is just a huge, you know, a lot of the the. It's very rare that uh, a distillery will have their own cooper anymore, right? Uh, Jim was a cooper. Uh, he he calls himself the last cooper on Isla, uh, for for a you know, for a distillery. Uh, but we also talked to uh, Glasgow Distillery with uh, you guys talked to Shug last. Couple yeah, and and so he is a cooper. Uh, he's out, you know, there, and uh, that distillery has the benefit of of buying these barrels, having him take the staves and and, and manipulating them in a way that that they uh, know that they can rely on putting something into a barrel for years. I mean, that's how important that the, these barrels are. I mean, you you. You can make the product in a day or in a couple days, to, uh, and, uh, and then put it into a barrel, and then you have to sit and wait. So, you know, are you, what are you going to rely on there? And that's how important the cooperages are because uh, the angel share is a very real thing. You know, uh, taking away all of that, uh, all of that product that you're still hypothetically housing and paying for and paying taxes on and and uh, and going around and and uh, you know trying to keep you know if you if you don't have a, a good barrel. 
I think a lot of the, um, the value of the cooperage is because when they get those barrels, they're not necessarily in the best shape. They have to be repaired and, and made watertight. Specifically being right. used. They were yeah. taken apart and brought over, uh, and, and they, they have to be resilient in trying to find the, the best way. And those guys, when we were shooting, they, they said, look, you can talk to these guys, but don't ask them to stop and do it again, right? Because they get paid by the barrel. We were blown away. So we interviewed Shug McMurray, like you said, and you should check it out on our, you know, you can find our podcast pretty much anywhere. But um, we did a three-part series on wood, which shows you how complex the barrel is to do a three-part series on it. But we were talking to him. We were thinking, okay, how many barrels can this guy make a day? We're thinking, what, you get one out, you knock a barrel out? We, we were thinking at our pace is what it was. We were like, all right, if I had to get up there and just assemble this. I'm thinking Ikea furniture guy. He's got to make how many are going to couches, right? And then you talk to Suge, and he's like, 30, 40, noon. Unreal. Like, noon by noon? Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. He wants that money. But well, you see the aerial shots and the video of, you know, how many barrels are sitting outside. The pyramids towers, of pyramids of barrels. Somebody's got to make them. Yeah, that was the Speyside Cooperage there. Um, and, uh, you know, America has their own thing with barrels uh, and with bourbon, which is highly regulated. Uh, you know, we have to use new American oak. Uh, and then what happens to that, that wood then? I mean, there's a symbiotic relationship between the bourbon industry and the scotch industry. You know, and we talk about and it's not just between distillers; it's between it's worldwide. So, uh, after we're done with a barrel, because uh, uh, for a bourbon you need new American oak, you're not going to reuse that barrel. So they send it to Scotland, and then uh, you go and you, you you check to see if it's you know if it's moldy or if it's you know what are we going to do with these staves? If I've got another stave, and so you guys, okay. So if you haven't heard the Cask Chasers podcast season two our series on wood, casks, the art of cooperage, definitely give it a listen because it, it dives into so many of these details. I got to admit, I'm a little distracted right now with just the beautiful effect I'm seeing on this Glenallochy right now. Because if you guys take your Glencairn up to the light and kind of swirl it around a little bit, the first two scotches we tasted, I noticed, had those heavy paint drips, right? This guy, it's almost like icicles, like ice work, something like that on the side. There's just something beautiful about this whiskey that so if you haven't what, tasted already. We're about to. Yeah, so, so one thing Billy Walker's um, pretty big on is non-chill filtered, no added coloring, none of that kind of stuff. So anything you get from Glen Allocky or any of his previous dis distilleries, um, Ben Riech, any of those, is you're not going to have any added color. So this is literally just the color from the barrel. And in a lot of scotches, you do see added color, added caramel coloring. So that, that's what this is. They're not chill filtering. Like, this, this is the real deal. Remember in the film when they talked about chill filtering, it takes out a lot of the minerals and, and, and funk that clouds up the whiskey, which actually is good flavor. Um, and they're trying to make a consistent product, which I'm okay with. I understand you know, marketing and sales and everything, you got to make a consistent product. And especially with something like a blend that you're right. trying to make what you've been making for 85, 90 You got to keep years. it consistent. Yeah. This, on the other, and, you know, Billy is a, in his own right, a pioneer. I mean, I'd like for you to chit-chat about him a little bit more because he's also another one of those. He seems surly. I'm going to be honest with you. He seems like... He's loud. He kicks in a door and says, new idea, this is the whiskey we're making. And then he leaves and they're like, I guess this is what we're doing now. Billy's weird the highway. Well, that's, that's partly my fault, actually. 
you know, we were we were setting up an interview for him, and we we were like the the the, uh, the spirit safe was going, and we were he, they were actually running product, and I, we talked to the, the the our sound guy guy, and, and we we're just like, hey, what do you think if we shoot in here? And he's like. Sure, and we're like, really? So we set it up, and we got this really great shot of him, and then, you know, he he had to yell uh, to be heard, and like we're just like, oh, it seems like he's screaming, you know, like, but but he's it, it's impassioned, right? But he was just because the the, the stills were going in the background. Like there. I like the filmmaking, folks. Filmmaking. Film one hundred and one. It, it was definitely in the throes of stuff. It was an exciting, from a cinematography standpoint, it was an exciting shot to get. It was worrisome because I'm like, it's really freaking loud in here. And then so uh, Greg pulled me aside. He's just like, we got to shoot him again. And like, so we went into another quiet area and got him, you know, just to, to balance it out. But he, he is, still he is a passionate loud? guy, but, uh, uh, um, you know, he, he doesn't yell at people on a normal basis. I like the, I <laughs> just like, you, just I you like when it. you show up. It's almost like he's the anti-hero, and I appreciated that. He's the you know Deadpool. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had this like a curled lip, Deadpool. like you're gonna drink it because I told you to drink it. Gotcha. All right, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. I, I'm curious, um, the audience. What do you guys think in terms of when you nose this versus the taste? Because this is the first time I've had this, and I wasn't. Uh, we've had our conversation about it, um, but I, I'm actually really impressed with some of the flavor notes I'm getting off of it. But I wasn't impressed with. No. Did anybody else get the same sort of thing out of it? Any anybody have anything they want to say in terms of notes? I'm getting like a radish note, some sort of turpentine, sort of butter, almonds, tomato, potato. Sounds like a party. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. I wish I would have said this at the beginning for the new whiskey drinkers. We um. You know, with the film and everything, sometimes we get caught up in the whiskey world where we're whiskey people. A little water will take you a long way with a glass of whiskey. Um, I've seen some of you pour some water in your whiskey. Bravo. Hand of, you know, round of applause. Um, water will change it. It'll actually bring some notes out. It'll uh, dull some notes, add some notes, pull some things out that you want to taste. There is absolutely nothing wrong with adding water. If you put ice in your whiskey, get out. No, I'm just kidding. That's your... <laughs> <laughs> no, and honestly, in in Scotland, most of them, when they're sipping their whiskey, they're adding up like what I would consider to be a lot of water to it's it. Expected, like like a lot of water they're adding to their whiskey. Um, so this one, to to your point, this one's I think forty percent alcohol or forty six percent alcohol by volume. We've been sipping on forty to forty three, somewhere like that. So the first sip I took of this one, I was like, bang. Like, it, you know, it just kind of kicked was, me in the what head. What was that again? Bang. Like that. <laughs> it's the bang first and then, and the, then head the head bang back. Is what, yeah. um, so it, you got to get that first sip or two out of the way before you can really sort of appreciate it. And even at that point, you know, it's still, there, there's a lot of burning sort of at the front and the middle of the tongue. You got to get past that and maybe add a little water that really opens it up. And I'm they're like, now you tell me. Right, yeah, they're like, hey, buddy, you should have told down. me before. There's usually a lot of sherry cask influence in Billy's stuff. Yeah, too, yeah. You know, like, well, and this is one of them. If you look at the Glendronach, right, which, uh, uh, he, you know, is really a quintessential. He doesn't own that distillery anymore, but, um, you know, if you're looking at your quintessential sherry bomb, 
uh, the, the Glendrona 18, for example, is Beautiful. just, is just uh, it's like candy, really. Um, but, but I see that kind of influence, and you can see his kung fu in, in, the, in the bottles that he makes, and it's really just an honor to, to be able I to I want to coin whiskey kung fu in the same way I want to coin Mo Glenmo. Hashtag Mo Glenmo. <laughs> whiskey kung fu. We'll, we'll let you have that, Brad. <laughs> I want you guys to, and not to agree, but I want you to agree with me. There's, <laughs> I want you to do what I tell you to do when I tell you to No, I'm, 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 I'm Billy Walker now. No, all three of these that we tasted, that you know, obviously there's a reason they were in the film. Um, we wish we could have gotten you every whiskey that was in the film, but then you would have been plastered. Um, so we, we, we picked three that, yeah, right. Is there a problem? I love, I love our listeners. Raging alcoholics. They agree or not agree. <laughs> agree or not agree, and a little, maybe a little chit-chat as we're coming to an end here, Three different personalities in whiskey here. You know, really, there's three legends and next-generation legends. I mean, because a lot of these have been handed off to new distillers, new blenders, new, um, you know, um, tasters. There's different personality in each one of these bottles, and they all have their own kind of... They're, they're very similar in a lot of ways, but then maximally different in a lot of ways. I mean, just the journey that you go on with each of these, right? I mean, when I, when I first joined the Cast Chasers podcast, I said that one of the things I was most excited about was experiencing some whiskeys that would take you on that journey from a tasting perspective, from a backstory perspective, from the perspective of the people you get to know that go into making that whiskey. I think the cool thing about the selection tonight is that they're just such different punch notes that come into place, you know? And uh, I, I think, I'll put it this way. If there's a Water of Life film sequel coming out anytime soon, I'll, oh. I want to oh. see it. You got the finger here oh. first, folks. Oh. Just kidding. Oh. Water well, of Life 2, God Still Plastered. Well, Greg has been, Greg has been uh, playing around with, uh, 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 we've got so many interviews and so many distilleries that we just couldn't use them all. Uh, we are playing around with uh, doing something on independent bottlers uh, because that's just so, it's, it's so integral to the survival of, uh, you know, the Scotch malt whiskey uh, throughout the 80s and things like that. And it's just, it's just an interesting story of, of everything we're talking about, but from, a, a, you know, an outsider's perspective to take something and, and put it in their own cask, it's, it, you know, it's just interesting. So we are starting to develop a, uh, some side stories. I'm glad so, you, I'm glad you, may I? May I? I'm glad you, uh, <laughs> I get to edit all that out. I'm, um, that banter. I love you, buddy. I'm glad you brought up independent bottling. Um, if, for those that don't know, independent bottlers are um, people that aren't making the whiskey, but they go and they partner with certain distilleries, select specific barrels, typically unique barrels or barrels that may not be used or maybe barrels that are used. But what they're doing is they're taking those barrels, they're bottling them in their name. Sometimes they're sharing the name of the distillery on the bottle, sometimes they're not. But the good thing about looking at what we call IBs is you get some unique stuff. Um, Beards Hill, for example, a local distillery, or a, li a, a local liquor store. Liquor store, um, yep. I picked up a 1984 um, Invergordon, right? You son of Invergordon, a bitch. gorgeous whiskey, $200 I paid for it. Independent bottling. He's got the last one still there in existence. So, you know, 
I'm not saying go grab it, but it's 15 minutes from here. My point is, to your point, Brad, and if you could dig in a little bit more, because I appreciate and respect the hell out of independent bottlers. They're really helping. I think the verbiage you used on the last show was these big guys like Belvini are like big giant steamboats just chugging along. You know, they're huge, they're doing their thing, but these independent bottlers are giving us an opportunity to taste things, maybe a younger five-year or something older, something that didn't make its way out of the distillery or out of the vault um, that could have or should have and gives a little more nuance to it, um, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I think I used the term of a, as a slow-moving boat, you know, before, and, and, and so they can move faster, they can pull something from a, a company that is bogged down by, by uh, tradition, if you will. Uh, you've got a lot of companies that grew up through the blending world, so they add the, the, the caramel, uh, the E1, to, to uh, their product. And, um, and, and as consumers start to get more and more educated on things, uh, it's good to see another company maybe coming along and saying, you know what, we're going to try to release this product with your, with your name on it, but uh, under our moniker um, and with our casks, and, and maybe we won't add the coloring or we won't chill filter. And so if they fail, it's on them, right? But if they're successful, it's, it's, it, it benefits both Everybody of them. Everybody wins, It benefits yeah. both of them, and it's really... It's, it's such a fascinating kind of horse trading environment that, um, that exists that uh, it's just, it's something to be aware of. Like for example, Green Spot, right? If you look at the Irish whiskeys, I've been buying Green Spot, Yellow Spot for, for, for years, but I'd never really clicked till recently that they're an independent bottler that buys their stuff through Jameson. So it, that just was just like, well, Hmm, okay. You know, that doesn't diminish my respect for them. That just says there's more to the story in that bottle. When I pull it out and have a conversation with somebody that um, now I'm, now I know. Guys, there's I plenty, want to... Um, there's plenty out there. You know, Alexander Murray, Exclusive Malts, Single Cast Nation. Check them out. Grab them. They're worth it. Ask for, go to your liquor store and ask about an IB, an independent bottling, and then give it a shot. You're going to pay less, and you're going to get some amazing stuff. You're going to get stuff that, you know, you're going to get a 25-year something or other that you would normal, normally pay, what, eight to $1,400. You're going to get it for two, $300. Or you're going to get a four-year that no one would normally touch, That's and it's going to blow your mind. Yeah. Well, how, how old was the one that we had on New Year's Eve? Four years? Four, three, four years? It was a, yeah, it was a four-year-old Orkney. Yeah, a four-year-old yeah. Orkney, one of the best whiskeys I've ever had in my life. And it was four years old. So you're going to find some real gems from a lot of these independent bottlers. And more to come, apparently, soon in another film. Maybe. Who knows? Guys, as we're, uh, we're wrapping up here, but I've got a couple other things. So maybe we could rapid fire this, because I want to be respectful of the guys and gals who asked these questions. They asked some really good ones tonight. First of all, we've got a couple more bear names. Uh, we've got Don Haggerty. Don Haggerty? So Actor that played Grizzly yeah. Adams. Good one. What was that one? What was that one? Don Haggerty. Grizzly Adams. Okay. Grizzly Adams. Don Haggerty, have, Grizzly Adams. Now, now this guy, this guy I think wants to be on our marketing team, so I could, I could let you know. Hired. Because he's got about 10 of them on here. Your the mistake. We've got uh, Jim. Um, <laughs> Billy Wallace, Wallace, a.k.a. Wally. 
uh, Bobby the Bruce, uh, <laughs> Robert the Bruce. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Teddy, as in Roosevelt. <laughs> Thanks for the specificity. Or just Bear. <laughs> probably bear. too easy. Admitted is probably too easy. Uh, Cooper Calder and Barley Corn and Cooper Callum. I'm pronouncing that right. Callum. Is this the same person that had the 19-part question? Just, just curious. Completely different person. All right. Fine. Um, so, but you, oh, by the way, we're not voting on this. I'm going to give this to these folks because it's their bear, and then you I, guys. I kind of want to. So, hear me out. So, Dan, you're a connoisseur of sorts. You're an MC for a reason. Of sorts. Of sorts. I mean, well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Last year I couldn't you spell connoisseur. Now I are one. So I want you to pick your top four favorite bear names. So those plus Yogi plus Burns. And I think there was one other one. But Yogi and Burns plus those. Smokey. Smokey. All right, so let's do this. Let's do an audience applause meter right? So, so for, for those of you that haven't played along to a low-tech version of the applause meter game... Dan is going to read one name of the four names at a time. So pick your top four favorite names, read one, and then we're going to gauge the audience applause to see how much you like that name. And then the name with the most rowdy, loudest, raucous applause I is going to be the name of the bear. How could it go wrong, guys? It's going to be great. Yeah. Trust me. Everyone's sober, so it should be fine. <laughs> I know. So I'm picking these? Yeah, pick your You're top four. four. Let's see. Well, we've got uh, of what we've got, what we've got here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of what we've got. Oh God, Jimmy's That's, talking. Yeah. City council knows. Read he the doesn't even need a mic. <laughs> all right, let's go. First of all. Wait, guys, guys, guys. So no applause while he reads them. We'll come back to them individually. So you want me to read all these right now? What can we read all of them first, and then people can vote after that, so they read know which ones their favorite? Read your top four first, and then we will vote individually. Top I can't wait to everybody, like. everybody, everybody yeah. be quiet while so he's reading silence. four. So dead silence. Dead silence. I cannot wait to Bobby, edit that this podcast. Putting me on the spot here. Let's see. It's all right, guys. Good. All right, are we ready to do this? Let's see here. I definitely, I do like Burns the Bear. Burns the Bear. So Burns the Bear. Um, and I do like Bobby the Bruce. That is a good one. Um, we Bruce. also got another one, which I do like, Boo Boo the Whiskey Bear. Boo Boo the Whiskey Bear. Rolls off the tongue. And I'm going to throw in one just because of uh, how much I like punk rock. How about Jello Bear Afra? Do that. What was it? Say it again. Jello Bear Afra. All right. Be Be That's not going to get a break. lot of applause. Let's vote on Jello Bear Afro first. Give it a round of applause if you want this bear skin to be named Jello Bear Afro. Yeah! <laughs> Twos of some any people, noise rates on the thing, Jimmy. <laughs> All right, how about Boo Boo the Whiskey Bear? <laughs> so nobody. <laughs> I didn't hear a thing on that one. Burns the Bear. Pretty loud. That's pretty loud. And uh, Bobby the Bruce. That's you, asshole. No, that's good. No one for Uska Bear. That was that was what Uska you said. Uska Bear. I really fantastic. like Uska Bear. I don't, 
I don't know. The, Bobby the, the Bruce sounded pretty bad. Is that what that is? The bear of life. I want to be 100% honest with you. We're throwing that thing away when we're done here. You'll <laughs> never see that bear again. I think you could uh, put his lordship to rest. With his lordship. Just his lordship. You retire, the you retire his lordship from Facebook. That's his lordship. All right, this thing's going off the rails. Um, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rapid fire some of these because I do want to get these questions answered. Do it. Okay. Do it. Very do good. it. Uh, all right, first question, um, Bobby. What was it like to play Eddie Munster? <laughs> Next. You, you had this hairline. The, the only reason I, I, I posed that question is so you could guess who it is. That Second David. best widow's I don't beat. care because I have fantastic hair, and I'm, I see the tops of all your heads, and I'm not ashamed <laughs> of anything. For the Jeez, hat wearers really? out there, I know what you're covering. <laughs> I know what you're covering up. This is amazing. Where are my widow peaks at? Raise your hand. No one. Just me? One We're guy? supposed to get more One guy? Drinks on me, right. bud. I was going to do it for all of you, but just him. He didn't have one either. If the drink tastes like tea, though, then... Yeah. <laughs> These are the drinks. These are the drinks. He only buys rail. <laughs> all right, for Brad. Uh, Brad, uh, here's a two-parter. What was your favorite thing about filming uh, this with the whiskey community in Scotland and least favorite? And... If you return to Scotland tomorrow and can only visit one distillery, who would you choose and why? Oh. Uh, well, the last part first, I think uh, Isla um, and I guess Brooke Lottie because they, they just, uh, they're just uh, such a genuine uh, company in my, it's, they're, they're my island whiskey. Um, but what was the first part? If, uh, first part is favorite part of filming with the community in Scotland. What was your favorite part and what was your least favorite part? You hinted, yeah. I think, at the least favorite part. I think part it was literally. the whiskey. The favorite part? <laughs> or the least favorite part? The, the people with the whiskey. It was just a, a, an amazing experience. Uh, I'll never forget it. And I'll probably talk about it when I'm old and, and uh, annoying, more annoying. Anything that just you couldn't stand that you hated? When he wasn't drinking whiskey. Uh, no, no, there wasn't anything that, uh, that I didn't like about the trip. I mean, it, it was a lot of time away from home. I mean, we spent seven weeks over there, and I was going through my phone uh, looking at pictures the other day, and I realized, oh, my God, I was back. I was back, back, back there. So it was a lot of time from home, but uh, it's such a great place that I want to just introduce all my friends to. So also, there, uh, there's another question that we could all kind of go round robin on this one, but uh, familiar with the side effects of climate and rickhouse location on the final product, and he wants to know, is there much emphasis placed on this in Scotland like it is in America? Aaron, I'm amazed you didn't jump out of your high back chair on that one. <laughs> I'll, so I'll start. Um, this is one of my favorite subjects is climate, uh, the climate versus how it affects the whiskey, et cetera. And I always bring it back to, since we're st talking about scotch, I'll bring it back to Australia. Um, so Australian whiskey, um, Australia, yeah, great, thanks, babe. Um, Australian whiskey, they experience four to seven seasons in a single day. Um, it's hot, it's cold, it's hot, it's cold, so it's almost like a pressure cooker for aging whiskey. So you're going to get some whiskeys out of Australia that are going to taste like whiskeys that have been aged for 
10, 15, 20 years in Scotland or in the United States uh, for, you know, and they're only going to age it two to five years. So it's, that's been something really interesting to me is just the effect of climate on it because you get extreme cold, you get extreme heat, but in most climates you get, you know, really hot summers, mildly cold to very cold winters, and it's this consistent cycle. But in places like Australia, and I would imagine even a lot of real desert places like Australia, um, but like I, I would imagine a lot of your uh, distillers out of Nevada are experiencing similar things. Because if you're in Nevada around Las Vegas, it's going to be 30, 40 degrees at 3 in the morning, and then it's going to be 116 degrees at noon. So that's something that I've been, I, that I've been really sort of digging into is some of these places that you see just this yo-yo of climates in a single day are really sort of compacting the stuff that you're going to find. Yeah, in Kentucky, you're going to have these older whiskeys that have been, you know, aged for longer. And a lot of that new wood is going to give you more flavor, et cetera. I could go on for a long time. Brad? <laughs> Just throw it up to anybody. Part of the film was shot in Australia. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I personally, I personally didn't go, but no, we we actually yeah. There's a, a we had a crew uh, that went out there because Jim was out there. Uh, um, all the interviews with him in a t-shirt uh, were out of Australia. He was down there uh, helping a distillery uh, make their uh, first whiskey, and he's also working on doing gin using the botanicals of a rainforest. So. Uh, I really, that was one of my big regrets on the film that I couldn't pull away from some of my, my projects to, to, to go on that trip, to go down to Australia, but um, yeah. Can you tell us, are you allowed to tell us which distillery in Australia? Uh, if I knew the name of it, I would. <laughs> you could pronounce You're allowed it. to tell us, but you can't remember the yeah. name. It's okay. Yeah. So I think, I think Bobby wanted to weigh on this one last time before we wrap. Because remember, guys, we're going to have a whole meet and greet at the back of the theater at the end of this. And we're also going to have another Cask Chasers whiskey tasting to kick off tomorrow night's events for Burn Supper Weekend. So More booze. Yeah. There was no applause for that? Really? Come on, guys. Like Tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> Bobby, what you got? Yeah, so I talk about it a lot, but on the weather thing, you know, Highland Park, my favorite distillery. It's it's it the weather in Highland up in the up in the, the Nordic area of, of of Scotland, the very north there is so aggressive, never hot, never cold, just constant beating, changes the whiskey's flavor. There are rick houses where distillers in America and that aren't climate controlled, because some are, where they'll say up left near the window is the best place. I think an analogy I got one time was you open a refrigerator door, everything in the door is a little warmer than everything in the refrigerator itself. Rick houses are the same way, and so is the environment it sits in. So yes, absolutely, weather changes it. Um, but in the sake of you know, for say, wrapping this thing up, I just want to say personally thank you, Brad, for uh, coming here all the way here dude to to sit on stage with us and get harassed by you people to talk about a first off this film was amazing and it was even if you're not into whiskey the cinematography the the direction the 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 film itself the beauty the art of it was gorgeous 
to be able to sit on stage with somebody who produced something so amazing is just uh, a win for us as cast chasers and this podcast and and um, and to share it with you, this town that you know I live in, this theater that I'm a part of, and sitting next to an amazing director and amazing team, and you know Aaron co-hosting this thing with me, he never gets kudos from me, and that's the last one he'll ever get. Um, and to the entire theme, and Dan for um, you know emceeing this whole thing. I just want to say thank you, and um, thank you, and thank you for being here. Really, your money pays for our fancy suits and cars. No, no, no. Seriously, it. Uh, <laughs> It pays for all of this. It makes all of this available and, and, uh, and part of what you can do and what we can do for you. So um, thanks, for, uh, thanks for drinking with us. That's all I have to say. All right, Dan, any last thoughts? Any, any final commercials you want to plug in before we do our toast and roll on off? Do I? Oh, boy. That all right, everybody. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed tonight's feature film, The Water of Life, as well as the Cast Chasers podcast live here at the State Theater in Havre de Grace, Maryland. Just to let you know, this is the start of festivities, okay? On Saturday, tomorrow, we are all gonna have another live whiskey tasting. We'll be able to powwow more and talk. Bonnie Knees Contest and the Celtic rock band New Brigade will be playing on this stage right here at State Theater. And then the Burns Night Dinner, complete with haggis, the address to the haggis, it's a great time. We have bundled tickets available. If you guys attended this, those tickets are available at a discount. Please talk to someone after the show. We've got a meet and greet coming up after this, and you guys don't have to leave. There's plenty of drinks back there. There's plenty of, is the kitchen still going to be open for a bit? We've got tea. <laughs> tea and food. Watered down the tea. The State Theater. <laughs> so we've got a lot going on, guys. We truly appreciate it. Give yourselves a big round of applause for coming out here. Kick it back to you guys to finish us off. So, whether you guys are previous Cast Chasers members, listeners to the podcast, or just first-timers, here are the parting words that we will leave you with. Tonight is a perfect example that it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase. Slancha, guys. Let's hear that Cast Chaser song. Another round of applause for him. Come on, let's do it. Bar's open, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>